I want us to start in Acts chapter 1. One of the things you find in Scripture is that last words are important before somebody died. Now think of Moses, think of Joshua. The youth and I just read about the passing of Jacob and Joseph, and their last words meant something, and people heeded those words. And so we are at this place where we are at the ascension of Jesus, and he is giving his last words to the disciples before he is taken into heaven. And so we're going to start there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And this is Jesus. They're assembled together with Jesus and the disciples, and he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Still, they wanted the kingdom. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So these are the last moments that they are having with Jesus. And this is the command that he gives, go and wait. I have to leave you. It's for your good that I leave you so that the Holy Spirit can come upon you. And then Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were, with all, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them in divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled. Everybody say all all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, now, here's some exciting, I'm going to do just a few moments of teaching, all right? Because here's what I want to do. I want to connect the Old Testament with what is happening now. This is so cool. When you begin to put the Bible together, it is really cool. And so, in the Old Testament, God's special people, Israel, they had seven feasts. Everybody say seven. Seven feasts every year that they had to participate in. Three of those, say three, three of those feasts were pilgrimage feasts. That means that the men had to travel to wherever God had told them to go to offer the sacrifice, like such as Jerusalem. So there are seven feasts every year. Three of them were pilgrimage feasts. The first of those, these happened at the spring harvest, the summer harvest, and the fall harvest. The first feast would be the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover. Okay, and we know what happened.
happened? Who became the Passover lamb? Jesus. Now remember when Passover occurred, remember when Israel was in captivity and Moses was bringing them out of Israel and we'd had the plagues and then came the death angel. And so what they had to do, right? They had to put blood over the doorpost so that the angel would pass by and not kill anybody in the household. And so that was the night that they had to, they had to eat dressed in a cloak. They had to eat ready in a hurry to go, to flee. And so this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is a feast where they, every year, they will go through their home and remove every bit of leaven, their yeast. Not one grain of yeast is allowed to remain. Now, if you, if you know your Bible, you know that yeast equals sin. Because what happens, you know, I, I'll have a big bowl of flour, and I put just a little bit of yeast in there. And suddenly, I have a bowl of overflowing dough, right? That little bit of yeast works itself through the whole dough. And so the comparison in the word is made to sin and yeast in that way. We think, oh, this little bit of sin won't hurt anything. And we don't understand. You get the little bit of sin in, and suddenly it explodes in your life. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a time for them to, to say, we're getting rid of all the leavening in the house as representation that we are, we're putting off sin and we're embracing righteousness. Okay, that's what this feast was about. Now, we know through the Passover lamb, Jesus, there's only one that can put off sin and bring righteousness to us, right? Jesus Christ. And so Jesus dies and is buried and is risen again during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So for all these years, all these centuries, Israel has been celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then Messiah comes, and he says, I'm offering the final sacrifice right now. No longer do you have to keep offering sacrifice. I'm, it is finished. It is finished. So that's the first feast. The second feast that they had to travel and offer sacrifices for, Pentecost. Okay, now this is where the adults got a little tripped up. <laughs> Math is not our forte, I don't think, in this body, except for Shelley Hutchison as she's watching. The Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, now let's think about this, would occur how many days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Everybody think Penti. Five, 50. 50 days after. So Jesus rose from the dead, and then he appeared to the disciples for 40 days. And then he ascends to heaven. And so how many days are they in the upper room? Ten. This took a little bit to figure out Thursday night. <laughs> Ten days. So from the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread to Pentecost, 50 days. They spent 40 with Jesus, and then for 10 days they waited in the upper room. Now, this one 
I think is really cool because when, Egypt, when Israel left Egypt, when they escaped, remember that they escaped and they went to Mount Sinai where they received the law, the Ten Commandments. Moses went up Mount Sinai, right? And what were they doing down while Moses is up in the fire and smoke receiving the law? Israel is down worshiping the golden calf they had created. Remember that? That was almost 50 days from the time they left Egypt. On that day that they received the law and worshiped other gods, as a consequence for that, 3,000 men died. 3,000 men died. Now that brings us to the day of Pentecost, 50 days later. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit is given. And Peter, who once is hiding out from a little serving maid and denying Jesus, has now been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to preach to everybody that can hear them. Listen, it wasn't like this. They didn't have enclosed air-conditioned places out in the field. They were in the upper room with open windows. Everybody can hear what is happening right? It was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And then they all begin to speak in other tongues. It was a loud thing happening. And everybody out in the streets can hear it and begin to say, what's going on? I hear this language and I hear this language. I hear this. What is happening? And so Peter comes out and addresses it and begins to preach his message of salvation. And so how many are saved that day? Somebody tell me. 3,000. You guys, the word of God is awesome. On the day the law is given, 3,000 die. And on the day the Holy Spirit is given, 3,000 come into life of salvation. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, this feast also is interesting because it is the only feast where they are allowed to have leavened bread. And so they bring two loaves of bread, yeast bread, to the priest. And and some say the two loaves represent the Jews and the Gentiles becoming one. They give it to the priest, and the priest begins to do a wave offering. And he does to the north and the south and the east and the west. He waves the bread. And then he waves it up to the sky, heaven, and down for earth. I think this, again, so we have the yeast where sin invades. But on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is given and yeast is allowed in this feast and the priest is waving it to the north and the south and the east and the west hey now the gospel should be spreading as wild yeast to the north the south and the east and the west this is amazing it should be there yeast doesn't have to be told and forced to multiply it should just it's 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 what it does. And so when the Holy Spirit is poured out on us, we should be multiplying. It should be what we do. It should be what we do. And so that's the second week. The third week, 
is Darren's very favorite week, I think. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, that's right, that's what they did. They would create booths. This was my backyard a week ago. Darren was delighting, I think, in his tents. They would, in their backyards, just like this, they would set up booths. Kind of, it was kind of like camping in the backyard for the Israelites. The cool thing about this one is that it is representation of the second coming of Christ. It's looking ahead to when he is returning. We are not to be an established people in homes of brick and mortar. We are to be pilgrim people that are moving, right? We are not, this is not our home. We need not get settled in like this is our home. The Feast of Tabernacles is a reminder of what Jesus, of what he brought them out of in Egypt, and it also is looking ahead to the return of Christ. And so these three weeks are so amazing in that we see them connecting with what God is doing now and in the future. And so we're settling in this week on the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. And so when this happened, it, it was not just, you know, oh, just quietly receive. Not that there's anything wrong with just quietly receiving. But I think when the fire came, <laughs> when the fire came, there was nothing really gentle or quiet about it. It was power. It was power. Now, I want to, for a moment, just differentiate a little bit for you. From your moment of salvation to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's just two little words that differentiates what's happening with the Holy Spirit, okay? Because when we come into salvation, when we give our hearts to Christ, we are, we are given. I mean, the Holy Spirit is part of that mix, right? And so I'm just going to read you a couple of verses to help with this, clarify. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Okay, so this is the moment of salvation. When we talked about the community of Christ a few weeks back, we talked about this, that we are born into the body of Christ, right? And so according to this work, it is by one spirit. So who is doing this baptismal work into the body? The Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit. So salvation, the Holy Spirit's job is to baptize us into the body of Christ, okay? Also, it tells us in the Bible that by his spirit, our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to recognize by the spirit we are now his children. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. What we're talking about today is not that work, okay? In John chapter 1, verse 33, 
John is saying, I do not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, that was Jesus, said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So in this case, it's with the Holy Spirit, not by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is our baptizer. He comes, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Again, in Acts 1 that we just read, it said, John truly baptized with water. That would be water baptism. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I love this comparison to baptizing with water. How I've heard it said is really good. It's this difference, you know, when we are born into the body, that work of the Spirit, it's like we take the drink of water. But when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you are plunging in to the pool of the Holy Spirit. It is all in you. It is out of you. It is consuming you. This is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many of you are, you know, when you go swimming, you come down the stairs like this, and you go a little ankle deep, right? How many of you are like, that's me. I am a gradual get used to the water. And then you have the kids that just, ah, jump right in. I want to be that way with the Holy Spirit. I just want to jump. I'm all in. That's what being plunged into that baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there is a difference of working that is happening between salvation and with that baptism. And in fact, if you look, read through the book of Acts, and if you have not read the book of Acts, I would highly encourage you, we're Pentecostal people here, you should read the book of Acts. Just like if you've not read the Gospels, we are Jesus followers, you should read the Gospels. So in the, throughout the book of Acts, after the initial baptism in Acts 2, there are subsequent encounters of fillings with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to run through a couple. In Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 10, it happens with the Gentiles. In each of these cases, the apostles come and say, they, they're coming to believers, so it would be like them coming here and saying, have you heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, we haven't heard of that. And then they pray, and they all get filled with the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. So this is happening numerous times. There's the common knowledge, you're already a believer. This is not what we're talking about. We are talking about the following encounter of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They differentiate between the two. And when they come each time, there's just this, like, this should just be happening. Like, have you heard? Okay, well, this is the next step. Let's get you filled with the Holy Spirit. That's their common. In Acts 10, it happens gloriously to the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. In the home of Cornelius, who was a man that was a generous man, and he was a praying man. And because of that, God visited his home. He and his household were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. You see it again in Acts chapter 19. Each of these times, 
they're coming to the believers and saying, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And so for them, there was this natural progression that happened. You come into salvation, you get baptized, and then you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think it should be a natural progression for us. I can't even imagine having tried to live my life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here we're going to do, we're going to walk through about three things here of why you need the Holy Spirit, okay? Why you need, besides the fact that it was Jesus' last words and none of the rest matters, I really don't need any other reason. Jesus said to do it, so I'm going to do it. However, there are some benefits for us besides being witnesses throughout the world there's some personal benefits as well. And that my prayer is that each of you would have that for your daily walk with Jesus. You know, you can come and counsel with us all you want. You can, you know, try to get counsel on Facebook all you want. I don't recommend it, but you can do it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit. In Romans I'm going to move through these quickly because we are. I'm not preaching this message, and then we're not having opportunity to receive. There will be an altar call, so just prepare yourself now. The first thing here in Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This word hope is talking about confidence. Confidence. So may you abound in confidence by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you are living in Ukraine and your home has been destroyed, and you have to mark the back of your, how many of you would say they need hope and confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It's a real power for real stuff. The second thing is that it will transform your power, your prayer life. It will transform your prayer life. In Romans 8, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Praise the Lord. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings <clears throat> which cannot be uttered. And then in Ephesians, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So praying and supplication in the Spirit. I can't even, t I, I, if you come down to the altar, I pretty much will guarantee you, you always will hear me praying in the Spirit first. Because I don't want to pray according to what I know about you or, or what I want for you. I want to hear what Holy Spirit is wanting to do in you. And so I'll spend moments praying in the Spirit until I know what I'm to pray for in English. 
This is the power of praying in the Holy Spirit. There was one occasion, in fact, I, I shared this a while ago. One of our Petersburg women came across a car accident where the woman was not breathing, and she began to pray in the Holy Spirit over her, and she came, she came back. She, breath of life came back to her. Powerful. I remember one night years ago, I woke up from sleep, and, and I could see in my mind um, a, a country road, and it, I knew it was the country road to my parents' home and a car driving on it. And this, I can still feel the heaviness, I feel that. A heaviness came on me, and I knew it was my brother. I think he would have been in high school then. And so I got up out of bed, and I, I just went, I didn't know what to, I just prayed in the Holy Spirit for like 10 minutes. I prayed in the Holy Spirit, that burden left me, and I went right back to sleep. When we do not know what to pray, Holy Spirit knows. When we're praying for our missionaries, when you get this urge of, I don't know what is happening right now with, you know, Susan in Hawaii, I, but I know I need to pray. You pray in the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit will transform your life. It will transform your prayer life. It will also enable you to build up your life. In Jude 1, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. First of all, let me just say, there is right here, nobody does this for you. It says, build yourself up. It's, I do have as a pastor a sense of responsibility, but also come that day before the Lord. He'll put some stuff on me, but he, uh, you got to build yourself up. You got to build yourself up. And here's what he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. I have places that I, I pray all the time in the Holy Spirit, and what it has created is this place of habit in the spirit. When I do laundry, I pray in the spirit. When I'm walking through Walmart, I pray in the spirit. Not loud. I'm not being weird. Unless I come by you, I might get a little louder. You know, spread joy. <clears throat> there are different places where when I go, when I go walking outside, I pray in the spirit. And because I do it in these places all the time, it has created a place of habit for praying in the Holy Spirit. So when I go to do laundry, something hits me, and I can't help but pray in the Holy Spirit. It's become a sacred ground of praying. I can go into Walmart, and I can get irritated and frustrated, and it's likely to happen, or I can allow the Holy Spirit to hit me and just... You create habits of the Holy Spirit. People will tell me, I've been filled, yes, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'll say, when did you last pray in the Spirit? Well, it's been a few months. No, no. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Paul said, I thank God that I pray in the Spirit more than any of you. I told him in Petersburg Thursday, we need healthy competition in the body of Christ. I want to pray in the Spirit more than you pray in the Spirit. 
I don't think that would be a bad competition. So praying in the Holy Spirit will build up your inner man, your inner man. And I think as we continue in the days ahead, that we are going to need to be strong in the Holy Spirit. I've begun to just daily, I, when, I, when I started praying through this, I really felt a trepidation almost of, Lord, I need more of your Holy Spirit. I need more of your Holy Spirit. Because according to the word that Jesus gave, it is power. He said you will receive power when he comes upon you. And here's what this word means. It means ability. It means miraculous power. It means strength. It means violence, which is how we bring in the kingdom of God, the violence with violence. We take it by force. And it means abundance. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I mean, miraculous power alone, signs and wonders. This is what the book of Acts was built upon, the signs and wonders through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And we are not excluded. This is not a book of history. This is a book that is in writing today. This is a book that we continually, the body of Christ, are continuing to write accounts of mighty acts of power through the Holy Spirit. This word is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. I don't know about you, but I don't really daily am seeing it in my life. And so I've begun every morning when I'm up and moving, saying, Holy Spirit, Come, and through me, let your power be at work. Let me see the people that need to hear the gospel today. Connect me with what you want to do today. Let me heed those inner warnings that you are directing me in. When you're telling me to do this or to do this, I want to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, not just on Sunday mornings, but day by day by day, this should be a common occurrence for the body of Christ. And I'm part of that body, and I want it. The truth is, is that in the book of Acts with the new church, persecution was happening. We hear the stories even now. In fact, I was listening this morning um, to Heidi Baker in Mozambique. And, and I thought it was interesting because I just met some missionaries from New Jersey that are going to Mozambique. And she is talking about families that are watching their family be beheaded. Young people being beheaded. Children lost in the bush. This is today. This is today. We are in this bubble in America. I'm sorry that we had to wear masks, but come on. It was an inconvenience, but we are in a bubble. 
And I know I'd love to just bring this great feel-good thing, but the truth is, is that we are in a bubble. And there's more persecution happening today than at any other time in history. Any other time in history. And so we come to the book of Acts where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, thousands are being saved, and it's in the midst of persecution. If you were just just a few examples through the book of Acts. Acts 4, Peter and John arrested. But you know what happened as a result of their arrest? Many believed, and now the numbers of salvation have gone up to 5,000. <laughs> he said, now, Lord, look at their hearts and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered were assembled, were shaken, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. (laughs) In Acts chapter 5, all of the apostles are arrested, and at the end of that chapter, it says that when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, this was the Pharisees, the religious people, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Well, they weren't going to tolerate that. They went out and began to speak the name of Jesus. They, They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Everybody say rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Here's what my takeaway is. There is no victimization here. Oh, woe is me. Look at what they're doing to me. No. They're being persecuted, but then they're being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they are preaching with boldness, and it's in every home, your home, and your home, and your home, and your home, and your home. It's happening. Praise the Lord. In Acts chapter 8, we have the first account of martyrdom through Stephen. And this, remember, is by Saul, who later became Paul. This was in his nightmarish days. But after Stephen is martyred, in verse 3, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. This means it was not just the apostles doing this. They stayed behind, and all the other believers fled all over. That would be you and me fleeing all over. In fact, so intense was this persecution that Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That would be you and me. It wasn't just the apostles landing in jail and being beaten. It was just us common folk, all of the believers, in front of their children. This is happening. And yet they greatly rejoice and are filled with the Holy Spirit and are preaching the gospel. (laughs) In verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever 
they went. You and me, that's us. It's not the apostles. It's you and me preaching the word wherever they went. They were marked by power and joy. And this all came because of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We are blessed to live where we live, and I will enjoy it as long as I can enjoy it. There's a special grace, though. You know, we talked about being part of the community, and I was kind of relating it very locally. But we are part of this community of Christ that is bigger than us. The body of Christ extends all around the world, and we are part of it. And even as I was writing this, I felt this sadness that I have not upheld the part of his body that is suffering even today, this kind of persecution. And I felt this fresh calling of the Spirit to say, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. They are part of this body of which I am a part of and Jesus is the head of. And in my freedom, I feel a greater responsibility. You know, I, I have this strange attraction for um, World War II. And, and I think I've, I've read stories, I've read books. I think it's because in this war, everybody rallied around winning. Down to children pulling their wagons full of metal they collected to donate to the cause of making planes. They, had, they went without sugar. They went without butter. They, went, they created their victory gardens so they would have food to eat because their food was rationed. But I think there's got to be no greater time, though, of, of solidarity with one another in this effort there was not this woe is me, but this rising up because we're in this battle. And it might not be happening on our soil. It might be happening on soil across the ocean. But it's part of us. And likewise, this great body across the world, we are part of them. And I feel this call of saying, I need to be interceding and praying because the truth is, is that many of them are praying for Americans. Do you know why they're praying for us? Because they, they see that we are spiritually poor. And so the people that are living in the persecuted nations are praying for the Americans because they see us as spiritually poor. There's something that happens with persecution it's horrible, but it stirs up something, and it makes something come alive in you because you have to. And my prayer is that that would not be the case with us, that that thing would be awakened inside of us just because it's what the word is and says to do and to be. And just because we don't have intense persecution does not mean that we do not need the power of the Holy Spirit to win people that have no hope, to win people that have never heard the gospel. And in our society, it is an unchurched society that does not know Jesus, that does not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to unrighteousness, to say no to our culture. The thing about the persecution is that it's obvious. You, there's that obvious enemy. The, the issue with our culture is it's subtle, it's deceiving, it's alluring, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to it. And so I know that this has been an intense word. I can feel your quietness. <laughs> but Jesus gave us this gift of the Holy Spirit. And he gave it so that you could be victorious in your personal life. And he gave it so that you could be bold and have courage and win people to Jesus. It's why we are here, right? Otherwise, he could take us right up out of here when we come to Christ. It's why we are here. And I don't know where you're at, but here's where I'm at. Jesus, what I have is not enough. I need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I refuse to be content with what I have. I refuse to be content with what I've been doing. And I feel a deep grief that I've allowed the world to quench my thirst, to quench my hunger. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would just begin to move throughout this room, stirring up and cleaning out wells within us that have been blocking the working of the Holy Spirit. It's not enough. It's not enough just to come into salvation. You've created us for so much more. You've created the people in this room to do signs and wonders in your name, wherever they are. You've created these people to be victorious and not victims, but to be overcomers through the power of the Holy Spirit.